Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. The quaint small town is a staple in American storytelling, where everyone knows each other. The schools have barely more than 100 students, and the kids grow up together throughout their childhoods. They're quiet and peaceful, a place where adults rear families for generations. In contrast, they are also used in cinema as locations for fictional axe murderers or creepy places to get stuck when your car breaks down. Today's episode is brimming with uncanny, unusual, and unexplainable encounters with entities inhabiting small towns and a peculiar incident at a cadaver lab. Okay, ready to get spooked? Hellraiser K opens today's episode with a stark reminder to stay within the floodlights when out in the dark. I live on a 13-acre property in an area of my state where the suburbs turn to rural farmland. My parents live in the main house near our road, while my fiancé and I converted one of the barns on the back half of the property into our house. Our house and another barn are set in a pretty wide clearing or pasture, but beyond that, we're surrounded by woods on three sides. All of this is to say we don't get many visitors out here. From the time we moved into the house almost a year ago, there have been some occasions where I get this inexplicable feeling of terror while outside at night including in places far more remote than here. But I've never had this feeling. The woods are home. In every other place I've lived, they've felt like my woods. But not here. I've repeatedly had the feeling that I'm trespassing on someone else's land. Someone who is not happy to have me here. The other night, I took my dog out for his last walk. It was around 11 p.m., so it was pitch black outside. The ring of light cast by the floodlights on the side of the house, the only light. As I was walking towards the edge of the tree where my pup likes to do his business, I heard a sound like someone imitating the hoot of an owl. Coming from the direction of the other barn about 30 yards away to our right, I was so certain that it was a human making the noise that I called out, Ha ha, very funny, Dad. I assumed it was my father closing up the barn for the night and he was taking the opportunity to try and spook me. No one called back. It was at this point that my dog lifted his head from sniffing all over and froze, staring in the direction of the barn. His hair stood up along his spine and he started to give a low, menacing growl. Now, this dog is obsessed with all people and animals. Everyone is a friend waiting to be made, I've never seen him act aggressively toward anything, even other dogs that have tried to fight him. My dad especially is his favorite person on the planet, so there's no way he would have started growling at him. It was my turn for all the hair on my neck to stand up as a cold wave of fear hit me like a brick. My dog had stopped right at the edge of where the light met the darkness of the woods. Normally, the light gradually dissipated into the trees, still providing enough visibility to see the outline of trees and shrubs, but this time it ended with a solid wall of black. Suddenly, I heard the same fake owl sound from only a few feet away, just on the other side of the darkness. 
My dog jumped and immediately started barking, putting himself between me and the sound. He's only a little guy, so I darted forward, scooped him up, and took off running toward the house. Behind me, I heard the sound again, but this time it had some strange warble, almost like laughter. The next morning, when I went out to check on the barn, I found that the doors had been partially broken off the slide and were swung past each other the wrong direction, like someone had tried to force them open the wrong way. There were no signs of footprints in the sawdust or dirt, or any other signs of an intruder. I have no idea what was out there that night, but suffice it to say, my dog and I stay well within the floodlights when we go out after dark now. Whether a cryptid or some sort of paranormal activity, that experience was a solid no for me, but 10 out of 10 for storytelling. Woods are creepy all on their own, and I won't even get started on nighttime excursions into the woods. I don't, I don't get that. Let's not do that. So give your pup extra nose bops for me and head scratches or ear scratches from all of us on the other side of It's Haunted What Now for being a brave little warrior. Our next story is a bombshell told by Glockloud or Glowcloud about the risk of visiting potentially haunted locations and unwanted attachments. I lived in eastern Kentucky for my teenage years, deep in the Appalachian Hills where everyone lives miles from each other in a tiny town. I wanted to tell this because I'm 29 now and it still affects me every month or so. We lived so far from the city we didn't have much to do. So we drove around and went ghost hunting or had sleepovers at friends' houses or parties in the woods. This night was in the middle of July. I was 17. We decided to visit this abandoned church the guys were telling us about. Our usual group was three guys and three girls, including me. One of the guys was with his friend, and we never had service to tell him where we were going, so it was just five of us in the car. The abandoned church was in a hollow, far from town into the hills. You turn right off the main road, drive for about 45 minutes down a one-lane street that curves over creeks and hills until it gets extremely narrow and rural. The guys said once you get over a specific hill, that's when you start feeling odd, like someone was with you. It was also probably around 12 or 1 a.m. by the time we started driving. The area was hot and humid since it was the middle of July. We were in the car laughing and looking around as our driver took us over the creek and through the woods. After about 30 minutes, we make it to that hill they mentioned and the car comes to a stop right in the road. They turn the lights off and we wait and wait. Nothing really happened, which disappointed me. I wanted to see something crazy, like lights or a demon standing in front of us or something. We decided to keep going to the church after a couple of minutes of silence and darkness. These guys were telling us about the last time they stopped in that spot. Apparently, they had a big commotion and thought it would recreate itself in the present. We drove about 10 to 15 minutes more down this tight road between the mountains, finally slowing around a curve the hills opened up into this clearing with tall, tall grass. It was probably around one or two acres of field. In the far left of the property was a two-story stone building that was clearly a church sitting in the dark. 
I couldn't stop staring at it. There were trailers in the next field with lights and cars, so it wasn't 100% desolate. I was so excited to see something. I searched the windows, convincing my eyes I might peep a little figure peeking through the darkness, but I had nothing. We parked on this concrete lot area right off the road and got out. The guys convinced us to hike through the grass to the building, and we go happily. The first story was the basement. The second was the church itself. The guys led us to the steps that went to the second story through the front doors. I don't remember if we were inside or still standing outside, but our sixth friend pulls up about 10 minutes after us. He said he couldn't get a hold of us since there was no service anywhere. He said someone wrote the initials of the street the church was located into the dirt of his car window, B.F., and decided to see if we were there, and luckily his hunch was right. We all go in at this point. This was a Southern Baptist type of church. The sanctuary had all the windows broken out. There was a raised stage area where the preacher probably stood with the podium. The pews were all gone, so it was an open room with a back corner closest to the left of the stage and a small door with stairs to the basement on the right of the stage. There were a couple dead birds laying about the large room. I took it as a bad omen. I'm superstitious in general and Arab. I immediately thought about the jinn, how my dad said they hide in abandoned places. I never asked for permission to go in either. The guys all three go into the basement by themselves and us three girls stay upstairs to do some ghost hunting. We have our phones as recorders and we wanted to catch voices. I sit on the stage, the side closer to the closet in the corner. Our more scared girlfriend sat in the middle. They ask the usual, what's your name? Who are you? And we have silence as our answer. I get this feeling of cockiness washing over. It is not who I am in general to feel that way, and I can't explain why. I knew better, even at 17, than to challenge things I don't understand. I begin with, I don't believe anything is here. Why don't you knock on something? Make a sound. Do something. We hear a knock. My friend says, It's gonna follow you home if you don't be careful. I brush her off. The closet I'm sitting nearest to starts making some subtle sounds. The dead leaves inside are shuffling quietly. We move together, terrified and bracing ourselves. We hear footsteps from the front doorway of the church and then steps from the closet. I feel a cold wind and the footsteps from the door start running to us while progressively stomping. All three of us are screaming. The guys run upstairs and we all meet up again. I don't know why we didn't just run out of the building, but we eventually got back to the cars. One friend said he heard a chorus of people singing from downstairs. One of the girls said they heard a piano while we were regrouping upstairs. We get back to the car and make our way home. The next night I'm home, in my room safe asleep. I dream a huge black figure with claws comes through our closed front door. The same way we heard in the church into my room. It slams my door open, shoving the doorknob into the wall, damaging it. It comes up to me asleep and unable to wake up or move and shoves me out of bed. I wake up on the floor and the door is embedded into my wall. My first sleep paralysis dream. I've had them since. Dreams of this thing finding me, standing and staring at me, shoving its hands into my body and dragging my organs out all while I can't move or scream. It's been years and the dreams are not as common anymore. I never went back into that building because I truly believe whatever it did 
was follow me home. We, of course, went back to the church constantly. It became popular, but I would wait in my car or whoever's vehicle that took us each time. I would see friends go back in and run out with children chasing behind them in the grass when we didn't have kids with the group. I've seen eyes in my rearview mirror while leaving the hollow. I have seen my long hair being pulled in the car while I waited or even sitting at home after visiting. I've had paralysis dreams since then and I believe it has whatever was there that started them. I'm never going back in. Okay, so you had me at the first half and then it just progressively got worse and worse. And when I was reading and seeing and hearing the knock noises, I was terrified that I was going to hear a knock of my own. And I'm very glad that I didn't. Now, I urge you to seek help in removing this attachment if you haven't already. My friend Tammy, who hosts the Holly Weird Paranormal Podcast, you should check it out, gave me some great advice because part of why I don't go ghost hunting is because I'm afraid something will attach itself to me. But she said it's all about what you invite in. So if you walk into a location believing that something can attach itself to you, then of course it's going to do that because you've essentially given it permission. So I encourage you amateur ghost hunters and those who may have a fear like I do of going ghost hunting to believe that nothing can come home with you. And maybe that will help you in the future. Now to the story submitter. I can't even imagine having to live with this kind of torment. You're much braver than me even going on the premise of that building because I would not entertain the idea of visiting the location even if I did stay back in the car. I mean, we've all seen The Conjuring movies, right? Like, there's no way I'm staying in a car. So Steve in Manchester tells us our next curious chronicle with a large crowd of witnesses. isn't particularly a thrilling story, but quite unique, I think. Anyway, way back when I was around 14 or 15, many years ago, a group of us would always hang out together, around 8 to 10 of us, sneaking around alleyways, etc., looking for cool little places to explore. One evening, not far from where we lived, we found this small walled-off area that had an open patch of land and a lock-up garage. The open land was big enough to have a large tree trunk laid out as kind of a bench, and also various metal barrels and oil cans were strewn around. As well as that, it had an old JCB digger in the center of this piece of land. The digger took up most of the space to give you an idea of the size of it. So we all are climbing around on this JCB when suddenly a man appears in the driver's seat, just popped up out of nowhere. He was black and white with a slight glow to him. We all screamed and panicked and jumped off the JCB and hit around the tree trunk or barrels, whatever we could find. He just sat motionless for maybe 20 seconds or so, then vanished again. What I find quite unique about this is that there was a relatively large group of us who all saw the same thing. We started sharing what we had seen and were talking over each other describing the exact same thing. All these years later, we still talk about it, and the story has never changed. It was us playing around, and this black and white guy appeared, then just vanished again. I don't know. 
Whenever I have watched paranormal stuff, it never seems to be that a large number of people all see something at the same time. Sadly, no camera phones back then, or we surely would have had several pictures of what we saw. So, that's my story. Yet, I do remain skeptical when others talk of seeing ghosts, and I don't know why that is. It's pretty common to have experiences with the paranormal or have an interest in it while still being a healthy skeptic. It's okay to question things and wonder about the unexplainable, so don't think there is something wrong with being that way. I can guarantee there are many people like you. I'm not sure what I would believe after having an experience like you, but find comfort in knowing that you weren't alone in this experience. Our next confounding account is told by Chicken Feet, who remembers a boy no one remembers. I grew up in a small southern town that had a paper mill and a nearby Air Force base. Anyway, kids came and went as people were transferred in and out. That kind of thing was going on all the time. Most of us who were locals had fathers who worked at the paper mill, but there was a large contingent of kids whose dad and moms were Air Force people. I have a memory of a kid named Adam. He was one of my brother's good friends. My brother is two years younger. He and Adam hung out together. They were both the prankster type and were always getting in trouble for pulling jokes on people. I was in mass media, so I had access to camera equipment. Often, I would bring home a video cassette recorder camera to play with. We made silly videos and, like, stuff inspired by SNL. Honestly, I don't know where any of them are now. This has been, like, 30 years ago. Recently, I was talking to my brother about Adam, and he had no idea who I was talking about. He had no memory of a kid named Adam. I asked another of our friends, Corey, if he remembered Adam, and he was like, who? I checked old yearbooks, and I found a picture of him in the background of a shot taken in the lunchroom. You can see him sitting at a round table with a few of our friends. My brother says he doesn't know who the guy is, and he doesn't remember anyone named Adam. I asked in our high school alumni Facebook page if anyone remembers him, but no one seems to. I took a picture of the yearbook page with my phone and posted it, but everyone said that it was too blurry to tell. People check their own yearbooks, at least a couple of them did, and they say it's a different dude. However, I'm absolutely certain that this kid is a guy named Adam and that he hung out with my brother, and he was kind of a joker. He moved away when we were in the ninth grade. I am pretty sure his dad was in the Air Force. So what gives here? Am I losing my mind? Has anyone ever had a similar experience? Anyone could chalk this up to you not remembering this one kid properly, but there is photo evidence in the yearbook of this boy, so it's very strange, especially when people are saying that they're seeing a different person than what you specifically remember since you would have spent a lot of time around him. Your brother not remembering his own friend is, I want to say, super unusual, but maybe he just has a bad memory. I don't know. I haven't heard many experiences like this, so 
there are others who have had similar stories, please write in. Med Throwaway Man recounts an odd occurrence at the anatomy lab. Oh boy. Just to preface the story, I'm a second-year medical student and an anatomy tutor for first years. I have been thinking of this off and on for the past couple of months and felt I just had to write it down for some sort of closure. The way tutoring works at my SOM is that I'm kind of on call on certain days to help students learn structures and clinical correlations on the cadavers in our lab for their practical exams. Usually, it's a group of students wanting to get some last-minute pointers, which is cool and pretty chill. However, on this day, I was emailed by a student I had tutored pretty often in the past. Super nice guy. He wanted to do a full run-through of all the structures being tested for their last exam. I said sure, and he set a time for nine. Another quick point. Our anatomy lab is pretty large. We have about 25 cadavers that are in separate submersion tanks to help preserve them. The tanks have a built-in table that is submersed with the cadaver, so you can just pull up the table when you need to dissect or study and lower the table back down when you're done with them. Anyway, me and my colleague get to the lab and he has a quick prayer before we go in. We then go into the lab and one of the cadavers is just out of the tank without faculty or a student in the room. That's a huge no-no. Very disrespectful and deserving of disciplinary action. It's just something that doesn't happen. We go over to the cadaver and lower her back into the tank. I'm then hit with this overwhelming decomposition smell. The smell was so bad it caused my colleague to gag. It was so strange because the lab is usually well ventilated and the fixatives within the tank should somewhat halt decomposition. We eventually gathered ourselves and went to the tank across from the one that was open, even though the smell persisted. We opened the tank and what I saw has been playing in my mind over and over tonight. The cadaver was sitting, not laying down, but sitting in the middle of the table in the fixative. I just don't know what to think at that point and my colleague was visibly panicked by this. We tried to lay the cadaver back down, but the hips were rigored. We eventually were able to do it, but after that we left and... Everything just felt off. A couple of days later, we went back and didn't mention it. I just can't find an explanation for it, except maybe some other students were super careless with the cadavers. It's just a collection of weird moments. Sorry if it seems like I'm rambling. It's late. I think a lot of people have irrational fears of places like the morgue, cemeteries, funeral homes, or any place with cadavers. But you guys have really earned the right to be wary if not entirely mortified. While it would be horrible if it were just students who were being careless, it's a less terrifying thought than the alternative. So thank you for compounding our irrational fears. Our next story is told by Amelia who returns to the show with childhood paranormal experiences and newer encounters as a medium.
Hey, it's Amelia again. I sent the story about The Rockman and Season 4, Episode 63. I'm here to talk about my childhood spirits that you seem to be curious about, and a few extra paranormal experiences I've had as a medium. First, The Gray Man. I was one to three years old while I experienced these things. I lived in South Dakota during this time. The Gray Man had a gray, green, blue, pale skin color. He had messy white hair along with a short, untamed beard. He had long fingernails that curled in. I'd say maybe four inches long. While I would sleep, he would poke my palms and my underfoot. He would do that until I would wake up, only to see him for a small fraction of a second. My aunt lived with me during this time and she had told me about times I would sleepwalk talking about the gray man. I slept downstairs and my aunt slept upstairs. To get to her room, I would have had to get out of my secured crib, open the door without my mom hearing me, walk up seven stairs, get to the foyer, walk up seven more steps, turn left, walk about ten feet, then turn left into her room. My aunt told me while I was sleepwalking, I sang, there's a man in Auntie's room, and he's gray. And I turned around, walked downstairs, and fell back asleep. Second, Little. That was her name. I saw her during the same time of my life as the gray man. Somehow I know that she is eight years old. She wore a white nightgown, she was pale, had elbow-length straight blonde hair, and was covered in blood. She liked to stand in corners where light couldn't reach or at the top of the stairs. She would stare at me and scream. While she let out these blood-curdling screams, she never looked scared. Only her mouth was open and her eyes seemed dead. Third and final. Many years after this happened and moving to different states, I moved back to the same house in South Dakota and I'm currently living there. I don't see the gray man or little anymore but I experience new things in this house all the time. Since I'm a medium, I talk to them in ways that most people can't. I recently met a girl, but I do not know her name. She died in the late 1860s during the war between white men and indigenous tribes in South Dakota. She is indigenous, 18 or 19 years old, and has been watching over the house before it was even built, meaning she has been watching over the land. I believe she was part of the Flandreau tribe. She is kind and protects me, my girlfriend and my roommate and best friend. I speak to her using dowsing rods and a spirit box, but I will never use a Ouija board. I'm sure I will send in some more stories of new experiences with the spirits in my house, but that's all for now. Okay, Amelia, thank you so much for returning to tell us about more experiences. And I am very, very happy to hear that you will not be using a Ouija board to communicate with spirits. It really does seem that you've been channeling your gift from a young age, and there is something about that house in particular that is calling to you. We always welcome more stories, so we wait here anxiously to hear more if anything else occurs in your home. Our next story comes from Palo D. And... It's a really interesting thing that happens when your kid moves out on their own.
My daughter A turned 18 a few months ago, and she wanted to live by herself. I totally agreed, since I think it's the best way to mature. She wanted a place with a garden, and since renting one would be crazy expensive in a city, we decided she'd be better off living at my parents' weekend house. There's a beautiful living room in this house where we keep the ashes of many relatives. My own mother's side grandparents, grandaunts, and great-great-grandaunts are there, in urns placed on shelves with spotlights. My kid loved living by herself, although some freaky things have been going on. One night, she went down to the kitchen for a night snack and found out that there was light coming from the living room. The doors have glass. All the spotlights above the urns were turned on. She was too afraid to go by herself and called her boyfriend. They entered the room and turned them off, but she was kind of scared since they usually don't go into that room and the only way to turn the spotlights on is by being inside. No big deal, she said. Another night, her boyfriend and herself heard the piano play a few notes. They got really scared and the boy went down prepared to find an intruder, but the piano room was locked and there was nobody inside. Then the other day, she was sending a WhatsApp message to her dad while preparing herself some dinner, when once again, the piano played a single note. She got really nervous. Her dad sent me the message, trying to laugh off our daughter's scare, but he told me he would have been afraid too if he was in her place. I called her then, trying to reassure her, telling her to go check if there wasn't a trapped bird or anything like that in the room, but she didn't dare go in. I told her to talk to the dead grandparents and tell them it's great to have them around. The next day, she finally went to check. Not only was the piano room locked, but the piano cover was closed too. Now, this is not the first time weird things have happened to us, so I'm not totally surprised. But then again, I wonder how can a ghost channel enough energy to do something like this? I tried to upload the recording, but it seems I can just add images or a video. If you can see them, it's in Spanish, but it's the sound of the piano and the voice of my scare kid that I wanted to share. Now, unfortunately, we did not get the videos. For some reason, it just wouldn't work. So hopefully you can just imagine a creepy single piano note, something you might often hear in the end of It's Haunted, What Now? So thank you, Paolo D, for sending in this story. It was truly creepy and kudos to your kid for living alone at 18 and being brave enough to even tell you these things that were going on. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me, hauntedpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Twitter, for now, at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance by Jesse Hawk. Writing assistance by Sherilyn Reyes. The official composer and audio smith for the show is Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Until next time. Did you hear that? <laughs>